The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, welcome. And uh, I'd love to meet you in the coffee bar. It's kind of crazy out there. Uh, we're doing a volunteer expo, and so I love it. There's people everywhere. And it's, uh, let, let, me, let me help you. Trent said we're, we're dismissing a little bit earlier. Please don't go get your kids. Let them finish service. So visit the Volunteer Expo, go to the prayer room, or just meet some people you don't know. Um, I think a lot of times we just get in the habit of coming in and out of church. But let me also say this. Visit every one of those ministry booths. You may not be led to serve in any, you may not be led to serve in any area, but here's the benefit. At least you know better how to pray for your church. Because every one of those ministries represent a vision that is tied to our vision of seeing lives changed by the message of Jesus, and you know how to better pray for their ministry. And so I encourage you to visit it, get some information, and uh, get to know the people you go to church with and that you uh, serve alongside with. Um, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 19, so if you want to meet me there, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows, and um, uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can put your name in it and make that your own. Uh, We're going to finish Acts 19 today, and I really wanted to uh, spend some time this morning looking at true worship, how I was thinking I could be cliche, and since we're doing a volunteer expo, we could do a a message on volunteerism and volunteering, Um, but it just didn't work out that way in the book of Acts. Um, We work through Scripture verse by verse. We teach Scripture, the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to be held accountable to what Scripture says and the truth of Scripture, Uh, but here's the thing. Whether we serve, whether we give, whether we attend church, how we engage in conversation, everything we do, word, deed, is all for the glory of God. It's all for the worship of God. So what I want to ask is, is do we worship the true God in a false way? Um, You hear a lot of this this phrase, pagan worship. Do we worship like the pagans? And we're going to look at some pagan worship in the book of Acts today. And here's my hope. I hope as we move through this, uh, that that the Holy Spirit opens some self-awareness in all of our lives because I was really convicted in the first service, convicted this week as I'm working through this teaching. And and as we look at how pagan worship is, is worshiping a false god in a false way, I hope it doesn't land on any of us. And so we might have some things to take care of uh, with our with ourselves in our worship and making sure our worship is true by the end of this. So um, we're in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Paul's been there for a little while. And there's a temple to Artemis in Ephesus. About 250,000 people, the majority of people worshiped uh, Artemis, the goddess of fertility, sex, and beauty. And not much changes, does it? I mean, we may have a big stone temple, but... Um, you know, I, I work hard to keep this body beautiful. But, um, but the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And uh, we like to look back, and a lot of the, the idols that we see in Scripture, um, we're, we see them cast out of stone or wood or clay. And the reality is we're more of an ideological idolatry factory. Um, let me qualify that statement. We get these ideas that we then set up in front of us as idols or false gods, like this idea of beauty. The problem with beauty is eventually it's going to fail us. 
I mean, we can go to the gym, we can keep having surgeries, we can do whatever we got to do, but eventually it's going to fail us. When, when we put these other gods in front of us, and you look at just some of them in our society, materialism, money, these things will fail us and they will demand us to do things that God doesn't call us to do. We'll end up sacrificing more to these gods than we will in our worship. Maybe the bigger question is, is by the end of today, will we worship Jesus more than we worship the other things in our life? At least my hope is that you worship Jesus differently because Jesus is different. He calls us to worship him differently. Jesus is set apart from all other things, all other gods. And, and I, I hope that through this time, um, we understand that he's the only one worthy of worship and that we worship, in an, in, worship him in a true way. He, how we worship matters. I mean, how we come to him, how we engage, that matters. And, and we're going to look and see, we're actually going to track through uh, a man that, that his business is threatened, that turns into a mob, and the beautiful thing is the gospel works in a situation like that. The gospel works everywhere. Um, Artemis was used as a means to an end. I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus is the end. Jesus doesn't want to, we don't use Jesus as a means to an end. He is the end. And so people are using Artemis for the beauty, for the fertility, but we're also going to see how they use Artemis for other things. But Acts chapter 19, oh, before we go there, um, I want to make another announcement. Um, Ron and Kay Davis, I don't know if you know Ron and Kay, they are going to be speaking at a marriage reconciliation conference this Sunday. It's at the Hills Church in North Richland Hills. It's $20, runs 8.30 to 3. Um, and if you are needing some, some help in the area of marriage reconciliation, it's $20. If you can't afford to go, we'll pay for it. Um, we, we believe strongly in that marriages, so we'll pay for that. Just see me after service if you need to go. Um, but Acts chapter 19, um, do we worship the true God in a false way? Here we go, starting in verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way is what was termed as Christianity or this movement of people giving their life to Christ. Basically, the gospel transforming lives creates this, this, this momentum, and it's been termed the way. This great disturbance, here's, here's what happens. If you are a Christ follower, um, there has been a disturbance regarding the gospel. Because what happens is the gospel faces us and the, Jesus sees us for who we really are. When we see Jesus for who he really is, there's a disturbance within us that calls us to act on that. And, and we'll either walk away and say, that's not for me, or it transforms our life. See, I, I, can't, I can't pick and choose the gospel. We like to, Trinity and I were talking before, uh, even in Christianity, we like to carve out sections of scripture and that becomes our idol. We look at we look at Jesus um, in different ways, and we like to look at him through the lens of our broken, sinful nature. See, in Genesis three, when the fall happened, that that separation happened between man and God. We were created to worship, and that when sin happened, it was broken. We are wired for worship, and we will place something in our life to focus our worship on, even if 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 we say. We don't believe in anything. We are still going to worship something. That's the way we're wired. We'll even take pieces of Scripture and do this. We can't approach the gospel that way. The gospel transforms us. The gospel causes the disturbance inside of us. And what's happening in the city of Ephesus, uh, there's a riot because 
there's a disturbance because of the gospel. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business for the craftsmen. So you've got Demetrius who works outside of the, the temple. The temple is this massive, beautiful building, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And you've got a silversmith who has a little booth outside, and he's, he's selling uh, Artemis figurines, I guess. I don't, if you've been to Disney, you have bought into this philosophy. You've come back with Mickey, Goofy, Donald, all kinds of chipmunks, all kinds of stuff, which you won't find Hercules there. I think that was a movie they wish they would have never, <laughs> never mind. You know what I'm talking about. Um, this Demetrius stands outside of the temple and he's selling, I can just imagine him walking up and down the line as people are waiting in to go to, to, to serve the goddess of fertility. You know, get your Artemis figurines, worship at home, you know, I don't know. But he's making no small business. He, he brought in no little business for the craftsmen. That means he was doing all right, okay? He was making some money. So, He brought in money for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in in practically the whole province of Asia. So what's going on? The gospel is at work. It's causing this disturbance. What, What I believe about the gospel is it works in Jerusalem and it's going to work in Judea and Samaria, Acts 1.8. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Forty weeks we're celebrating in the book of Acts today, and we've been able to work Acts 1.8 in almost every one of them. But the gospel works in Jerusalem. It's going to work in Judea and Samaria. It works in Ephesus, and I believe in 2013 it works in Fort Worth, Texas. I believe it can still cause a great disturbance. Now, what does it look like to worship uh, Jesus in a false way or worship the true God in a false way? It's really adding Jesus to the mix. You see, Paul's creating a disturbance in the city of Ephesus because he's preaching Jesus. He's not standing, he doesn't have, Demetrius doesn't have a booth selling temple figurines and Paul's on the other side with a picket sign picketing the temple. They're not at war with each other. The disturbance comes because the gospel works in Ephesus, because it has the power to transform lives. And and Paul's not trying to say, hey, add Jesus to Artemis. Add Jesus to whatever. Jesus plus anything, I've said it before, is insanity. Jesus says, I want it Lord of all or not at all. We watched in the chili video here, they had, we gave out the trophies. And I know there's been some debates in some of those homes about where those trophies will be placed. <laughs> I am excited because in a couple weeks, hunting season starts for me. And, and I love hunting. But, but Heather has laid down the law. There will be no heads hanging in the house. I can't wait to get an office, man. <laughs> you ever come for a meeting, there'll be all these deer staring at you like, I'm going to put the eyes in them that follow you wherever you go. Like, I'm just kidding. Jesus says, I don't want to be one of the trophies on your mantle. I want to take over. I don't just want the mantle in your house. I want the whole house. Don't, let me, let me please, don't add Jesus to your life today. Replace everything in your life with Jesus. Make him the first priority of everything. 
put, put everything else in its place. Let the disturbance happen as Jesus moves in and moves the other things to their proper place. Hey, money is important, but that doesn't become our God. It takes money to live. You got to buy food. You got to pay for the house. You pay for things. Don't serve money as your God. The other thing about worshiping Jesus in a false way, or we could say pagan worship, is worshiping Jesus for what he can do for us. I said Artemis was a means to an end. There was worship directed at Artemis so that people could become, so they could be beautiful, so they could have fertility, so they could grow their families, and they could justify and bring reasoning for all kinds of things for following and worshiping Artemis. Don't worship Jesus for what he can do for us. Here's the filter on that. Would you still worship Jesus if all he could do for your life and all he ever did for your life was to be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die on a cross and be resurrected and ascended into heaven? If that's all he could ever do for you, would you still worship him? Can I challenge you that that alone, the gospel alone, is enough to sustain us to worship him for all eternity. We like to press into God based on what we need. I mean, the, the, we, we, we like his benefits. We'll say it that way. It, it's as though, you know, we're struggling in our finances, so we pray for God to be our prov- providence or our provider. That God, you supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. Do you think I could get some of those riches right now? Or we get the doctor's report, we press into God for his benefit of being healer. God, you created me. You knit me together and you form it. You see how we're using scripture to create an idol of what God can give and a benefit of God and moving away from worship, true worship of the true God? Well, I'm going to stand on healing because God's my healer, but that's all you want from him. Don't worship Jesus for what he can do for us. See, we don't have to tear down idols. What I love about this, it says that Paul's created a disturbance and he's convincing people and leading them astray. I don't know if you grew up in church, but you ever heard the term backslide? Like that boy done backslid into sin. If you think about it, when we preach the gospel, when we live our lives in true worship to the true God, what we are in what we're doing is we're convincing other people to backslide on their gods. I mean, I don't know if the Temple of Artemis had a visitor team or we have a first impressions team, you know. Um, hey, we're so glad you visited this weekend. Thank you for being at the Temple of Artemis. If you'll fill out one of these guest cards, we haven't seen you in a while. We actually, when we worship and worship in spirit and truth, idols fall down. What happens is we we stop feeding those idols. So let's go on. Um, He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Okay, Look look at the track here. I'm not, I'm not being judgmental, but I'm saying, let's, let's understand the track through this. Okay, you've got Demetrius. It starts out he's angry because Paul's leading people astray. It's affecting his bottom line. And now he's going to start to bring in 
oh, but now we've got to protect Artemis because, man, people, she's been discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty because I'm losing money. Anywhere you find false worship, you're going to find money been made. And you're going to find people who hold on to that. I, I hope that's not any of us. Like I said, we're looking at this, and I hope it doesn't land in any of our laps. We don't use the gospel to make money. We don't have to... Here, here's another false worship, a pagan worship, believing we have to defend Jesus. He's worried about Artemis being robbed of her divine majesty. Let me let you in on some truth. She has no divine majesty. The only majesty she gets is what is conjured up from man. Let me tell you some truth about the God I serve. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He doesn't need me to give him his divine majesty. Jesus is divine majesty. He existed before creation. And in the throne of heaven, that there are heavenly beings that circle the throne and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He doesn't need me to to give him uh, credit for his divine majesty. He doesn't need my help with that. I don't have to defend Jesus. We've taken Jesus and and reduced him as the God of the universe to this little puppy we got to protect. You know, oh, I'm carrying Jesus. Don't offend Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus is like the big dude that you want to have as your best friend. You know, the kind that, when I was in grade school, I had a friend. He was much taller, much stronger than everybody else. And I wanted to be his friend. I'd be like, I'll be your bodyguard. He's like, I don't need a bodyguard, but I do. It's like we wrestle up to the power for you get back into the worshiping for the benefits. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't going to lose. He can't be robbed of his divine majesty. He can't be robbed of any of his glory based on what we do or don't do. He's got it anyway. Let's submit. (laughs) We don't have to defend Jesus. We have to declare him, okay? So let's declare him as the Lord instead of trying to defend him as the Lord. He's big enough. He's man enough. He's strong enough. He can do it. If you created everything in existence by speaking, I think you're all right. I don't, I don't think I have anything that I can add to all of that. Let's get out of the habit of in our workplace feeling like we have to defend Jesus. He will stand the test of time. There will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Let's worship him in a true way. Let's go on. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, uh, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. What's interesting is Paul, okay, here's a scenario. Demetrius starts looking around. 
man, I'm losing money. Why am I losing money? That dude's t- speaking about Jesus. He's saying that the man-made gods are no gods at all. I've got to do something because I've, I've got money to be made. So then he, he goes to the craftsman. Hey, we got to do something about this. This dude is killing our bottom line. In order for us to submit, it means our business goes away. And people are submitting. The gospel's changing lives, and they're turning away from this. And so then he ends up getting the whole city in an uproar, and they pile into the theater. The theater held about 25,000 people, and they're in there shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then Paul, they, they see some of Paul's traveling companions, and Paul wants to go in there. What I love about the gospel, it calls us to give up our security so that we can go in and preach the gospel. Here's what Paul's thinking. I'm going in there. I'm preaching the gospel. That's 25,000 people that are going to hear the gospel. And I don't have to go in there and tear down Artemis. I don't have to go in there and try to destroy their temple. All I'm going to do is go in this Jesus, who is the Messiah, was crucified for our sins, was resurrected. He lives again. He holds the power over sin, over sickness, over death, over the enemy. And he was resurrected and he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And we can have that same forgiveness. Paul's looking at an opportunity to preach the gospel to 25,000 people. And even the city officials are like, Paul, no, that's not, we can, no, please, please don't go in there. You, you see, the thing is, we have great opportunities to follow. I love what it says, and that there's a connection. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on this carefully. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This isn't in your notes, but, but sometimes worshiping in a false way is to confuse our patriotism with worship. Now, I love America, and I love Jesus. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a Christian. But Jesus wins every time. I can't make the link that because I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I can't make the link even to, well, I'm Texan. I can't make the link that because I'm Texan, I'm a Christian. My worship happens when I go to that cross and I receive the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness that was shed by the blood of Jesus Christ so that I can have reconciliation with my Father, that I put my faith, my hope, my trust in Him. That makes me a Christian. I'm an American because, yes, men and women shed their blood so that I could stand here and speak the word of the truth of God freely without fear. And I'm grateful for the blood on both of those. But let me tell you something. When it comes into question, worshiping the true God or my patriotism, I'm worshiping the true God. That's something that's happened in Ephesus, and it even happens today. So let's go on. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul wouldn't go in. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Worshiping Jesus in a false way. Mindless emotionalism. Jumping on the bandwagon. Can you imagine? Why are we here? I don't know. What are the greatest Artemis the Ephesians? Just join in. Great. I mean, how many, how many of us just follow the crowd? One of my favorite movies, A Few Good Men. Uh, one of the guys is on the stand, and he's asking him to show him where in the, in the instruction manual the chow hall is. He's, or the mess hall. He goes, it's not in there. Well, how do you know where to eat? I just follow the crowd at chow time, sir. 
how many of us just follow the crowd and we just kind of throw this mindless emotionalism to the wind and we, we can't even know why we're here? I mean, let me ask you this. Do you know why you're here today? I mean, it, it, going to church, it's not just because it's a cultural thing to do. I know we're in Texas, and I call this the buckle of the Bible belt. It's a big gold buckle, by the way. But not just because it's the thing to do. It's not because there's no other thing to do. I mean, there's plenty to do on a Sunday morning. And I'm grateful you're here. But why are you here? You've got to get to the root of that question. The reason we're here is because Jesus alone is worthy of worship. We gather today not so we can see each other and have a great core value of community, but so that we can worship the true God in a true way. We can be encouraged. We can be an encouragement. And we can understand how to better impact the kingdom by our lives being changed by the gospel and going out with the gospel. We gather to gain everything we need to go out. And, and, and sadly, a lot of people can't, understand, can't explain, why do you do what you do? I don't know. You've probably had, encountered that with your kids. Why did you do that? I don't know. I mean, if you go, if you work tomorrow, hey, I was at church yesterday. Why did you go to church yesterday? I don't know. My wife made me. My husband made me. Man, I, I really hope you can get to an intellectual response instead of mindless emotionalism. Mindless emotionalism doesn't get anything accomplished. They're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is the, uh, and so they didn't even know why they were there. I, I think they might have been shouting maybe to convince themselves. You know, they, they, they have to convince themselves of what they believe. It, it's, the, it's the repetition that happens. And here's what I believe. If we begin to answer without reason or logic, people begin to assume there isn't reason or logic to the gospel. I mean, they, they had no reason. They didn't even understand the reason why they were there. I think that's another uh, misguided worship, is worshiping without reason. We can't have, reason, we can't have faith without reason. God created us with an intellect, and He calls us to use it. Don't just turn your brain off at the door. We're not Christians because we don't have the ability to think and articulate the truth of Scripture. We're called, we're challenged to engage every part of our being. Body, mind, soul, strength. You go down the list. It's all part of who we are, and God wants all of who we are. I mean, think about the reason. that Why are you here? I don't know. I just followed everybody in. Why are we shouting? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's see if they can tell us. Well, I'm just confused. The Jews pushed Alexander up to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, they didn't know... Uh, while they were there, but they realized this man's a Jew. We got some, man, the crowd has worked up. And we're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis. And they know that the Jews didn't, didn't condone their, their idol worship, that worship of false gods was a sin, was wrong, broke the law. So they knew that that was an enemy. So they start shouting, two hours. That's a church service right there. 
Two hours. I bet they were probably taking breaks. They're like shifting in rows. Like, hey, I'm going to go grab a drink and some popcorn. I got to refresh my throat. You keep shouting, I'll shout for you. I really got to go to the bathroom. Well, I'll hurry. Two hours, they start shouting. Here's the thing. Artemis never answered. A God with no ears can't hear you. And if a God with no ears, an inanimate object, isn't going to answer you either. It reminds me of 1 Kings when Elijah was with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal put the Ephesians to shame. Two hours, they shouted. The prophets of Baal went all day long. They were cutting themselves, which is another thing about our false gods we like to put in front of us. They require our blood. Jesus gave his blood. So these prophets of Baal shout all day, all day long, all day long. Elijah gets into smack talk, which I don't recommend if, if you're outnumbered or outmanned, outgunned, whatever you want to say. Elijah steps up, prays a simple prayer. Fire from heaven falls. You see, when we serve a living God who has ears, he will hear. And he will respond. And in all of this, we've got to track with reason. We've got to track with with our brains, with our minds. They shouted this repetition, repetition, repetition. Repetition doesn't make it right. Jesus makes it right. We'll tell ourselves, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, when Jesus is saying, I need you to understand it's not okay. One of the most repeated prayers we have in the church is the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. But I want you to recall what Jesus told his disciples before he taught them how to pray in this way. Do not go on babbling like the pagans do. We don't repeat things to convince ourselves. We repeat them to affirm them and to declare them as the truth that we've confessed and believe and submitted to. So they go on. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? I mean, he's reaffirming them. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Okay, so Paul's preaching the gospel. And it says that he hasn't done anything wrong. Paul preached strong enough to incite a riot but not get himself into legal trouble. Every time Paul went into a city, there's either a revival or a riot. Most of the time, both. We like to rail against the laws that we have and soapbox against... uh, We like to make excuses for not preaching the gospel because of the legalities of everything. Paul went in, neither blasphemed their goddess or robbed their temple. He spoke the gospel in such a way that it made an incredible impact to the bottom line of idol worship. Maybe in our workplace, instead of us talking about how difficult the environment is and that they should let us have the Bible study, maybe you work in a way... It makes the gospel clear 
causes a disturbance, but it's in a way that is not going to be a, a detriment to your job or get you in legal trouble. Some of y'all are going to call me, hey, man, I need you to bail me out of jail. I was preaching the gospel at work. Why did you get arrested? Because I signed an agreement saying I wouldn't preach at work. Okay, uh, can't help you there, bro. So he goes on. You brought these men there here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. The reason he's saying this, Ephesus enjoyed freedom from Rome, and Rome would love to be able to catch him abusing that freedom and come in and say, see, you abuse it, we're going to take over control. So he's saying, look, we're going to be charged with rioting. It's funny how the non-Christians were the one in the legal issues. And Paul's just like, man, I was just preaching the gospel. And so he says, we've got to dismiss. There's no reason for this. And then he dismissed the assembly. I'm going to dismiss our assembly in a minute. And um, I want you to know there is a reason for this this morning. That regardless of why you're here, God has... This wasn't a surprise. It might have been a surprise to you that you're here this morning, but it's not a surprise to God. And He loves you. And He's calling us to worship Him in spirit and truth. And so my, my prayer for us is as we, as we filter through these worshiping the true God in a false way, uh, it, it really gets to a point of the self-awareness of going, where's my heart with Jesus? Is he first in my life? Is everything I'm doing for his glory? Now, if you're pursuing perfection in that, you're going to be disappointed, and it's an exhausting process. But here's the truth. There is grace. There is mercy. And he wants to be the first in in your life. He's worthy of it. He's the only one that commands the honor for it. And my prayer is that, that we worship in everything we do, Word, deed. As Paul said, eating or drinking, it's for the glory of God. So as you serve, as you give, as you love one another, as you, as you engage in life, as you go to work tomorrow, I pray that you're doing all that in worship, true worship of the true God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the cross and for grace and and this is some challenging things. I know it's easy for us to look at um, th- this idea of worshiping false gods in, in, in ways like this and, and to really think, man, they've got it wrong. But God, I pray that you give us, through the Holy Spirit, some self-awareness today to really search our hearts and, and, and reveal in us if we're, if we're worshiping you for any false reasons. And I pray that you help us uh, to seek the, the forgiveness. Help us to come to that point of repentance, to place you as the Lord of our life, the first and foremost. And I pray, Jesus, that you help us put those other things in their place. I know we talk about going in our workplace and preaching the gospel, but Jesus, and we need you to help bring the gospel right to us. 
we're struggling with our worship, much less teaching anyone else about it. So I pray that you move in now. I pray that you help us to tear away all of the excuses we've been putting up. And we worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, bless our time. Bless our week. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.